tonight we're going to get out one of the books of the bible and just look at some things together and we're glad you could be with us this evening if you've got your bible I'll open up to the book of first peter we're going to be in, start in chapter one but we're going to spend our time in chapter four here in just a moment Brother jason has been taking us through the book of first peter for the past five sundays looking at each chapter and just a delightful and wonderful study as we've looked at some things from god's word that'd be helpful for us and in our study last week, as Jason was going through chapter 4, uh, a couple of verses stuck out with me, verses that uh, I have never preached on, and verses years ago used to kind of trip me just a little bit, and I thought, well, I'll just spend a couple of times and talk about that. So we're going to do that this evening as we just kind of look at some things together. The book of 1 Peter, as an overall unit, is dealing a lot with suffering. And we see that right away in the very first chapter. After he talks about this inheritance in verse 4 and how we're protected in verse 5, he says in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith be more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire. And so tonight we're going to focus primarily on the blessings of Christ and we're going to turn to chapter 4. And as we go through this, we want to notice how, again, this theme of suffering comes about. And particularly, it will lead us to two verses that I want to kind of center on this evening as we look at some things together. Now, the subject of suffering is just one of those things that just causes a lot of people headaches. Uh, they just I have lots of questions about that. Uh, some have the idea if God really loves us, especially his people, especially the innocent, especially children, should never suffer. Okay? I remember uh, sitting in years ago when I was a teenager, sitting in the church building, and a little kid misbehaved, and his daddy took him out, and he just thought it was going to be a fun time until about halfway through the pews, he remembered what was going to happen to him, and he raised his head up and said, pray for me, <laughs> because he knew what was about to happen. So, you know, you know, and that's a question that causes a lot of people to stumble, because if God is so good, why is there suffering in the world and if God is so good why do bad things happen to his people and that very thought has caused a lot of people to walk away from God it is one of the central arguments that atheists will use that there is no God because if there's God he's all powerful and he's all good then his people ought to have only goodness all the time but the Bible says otherwise, particularly the book of 1 Peter. Now, when we talk about suffering, there's a lot of different reasons why people suffer. Sometimes just because we're on planet Earth. This Earth is not heaven. It will never be heaven. Since Adam and Eve sinned, this world is broken, and we pay the consequences of a broken world. Some of that has to do with Hebrews 9, 27. It's a point a man wants to die, and after that comes a judgment. To bring about death calls suffering, and God allows that. Sometimes suffering comes about just because of our choices or the choices of someone else. If you choose to put your hand on a hot stove, 
guess what? You're going to suffer. And, and so our choices, our decisions have a lot to do with this. But what Peter's talking about here in the book of 1 Peter is a unique type of suffering. It's a suffering found only among God's people. And what he's going to talk about here is the suffering that we would call today persecution. And that's what we want to look at this evening. So if you've got your Bible, turn with me to chapter 4. And again, let's notice that the theme of this chapter here is dealing with this concept of suffering. Chapter 4 begins with, therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh. He didn't just suffer spiritually. He didn't just suffer emotionally. He didn't just suffer mentally. He suffered in the flesh. He felt pain. He bled. He died. Then in verse 12 of the fourth chapter, he talks about again this fiery ordeal among you. And then in verse 13, but to the degree you share the sufferings of Christ. Verse 15, don't let anyone suffer as a murderer or as an evildoer. Verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, and then in verse 19, the chapter ends, therefore let those who also suffer according to the will of God. So all through this chapter, the subject is suffering. And that's what he's kind of emphasizing. Now tonight what we're going to focus on is verse 17 and verse 18. So let's read it, and then let's talk about what it's not talking about, and then let's look at what it is talking about. 1 Peter 4, verse 17 and verse 18. It says... For it is time for judgment to begin with a household of God, or the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? And so as he begins this, he's talking about this judgment. And he talks about what this judgment will be. Now, to begin with, we need to see he's not talking here about the final judgment. For years and years, that's the idea I had from this passage. That all the Christians will be judged first, and then everyone else. And it begins with a household of God. Now, the Bible talks about a judgment. And I think in about two or three weeks, I'm going to talk about that, because we haven't talked about that in some time. That we will be judged. We all want to go to heaven... But we forget there's a judgment, and we need to remind ourselves of that. In the book of Revelation, if you turn there with me in chapter 20, and look at beginning at verse 19, that is the scene he has before us. Revelation 20, excuse me, verse 11, he will say, And I saw the great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. I saw the dead and the great and the small standing before the throne, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things written in the book. That is the final judgment. That is a destiny every human being has. Whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God, whether you want it or you don't want it, we all pass through that judgment because we are responsible to God. Now back over here in 1 Peter 4, he uses that word judgment, but that's not what he's talking about. And oftentimes when we see one word in a Bible like that, like kingdom or judgment or nation, we have one definition and we think it's the same definition everywhere. We notice the whole context here is about suffering. 
He's not talking about the final judgment. That doesn't fit in here. That's a square peg in a round hole here. It just doesn't fit in with that concept there. And you notice as verse 17 begins, he talks about it is time. For it is time for the judgment to begin with the household of God. It begins with us first. He's talking about something that's going to happen right now. Now here we are 2,000 years later. And if this is supposed to be the final judgment... Something's wrong with Peter's clock, wasn't it? He didn't get it. So he's not talking about the final judgment. What he's talking about here by using the word judgment is suffering. That's what's going all through this context here. And so suffering is viewed in the sense of God's judgment here. Not a sense of punishment, but a sense of trial, as we see and understand this. Look in verse 19 once again of our chapter. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God. And so judgment begins first with the people of God. He's talking about the present suffering that was just about to take place, and that fits the timetable in which Peter was talking about. Now, the second thing this chapter does not mention, and you, you see this particularly in the King James Version. The King James Version uses in verse 18 this expression that scarcely will the righteous be saved. And the idea of scarcely gives you the idea of barely making it. Child comes home and mom and dad says, how did you do on the test? I barely passed it. That always gives parents a scare. What does barely mean? You know, I barely, by the skin of my teeth, I'm going to heaven. Well, that, that concept is not mentioned here. And as the New American Standard says up above here on the slide, it's really talking about the difficulty one has. Now, in your Bibles, go with me to Romans chapter 8, if you will. Romans chapter 8, and notice this contrast that Paul mentions here, even as he mentions the words about persecution. Romans chapter 8 and verse 37, the apostle would say it this way. He says, but in all these things, and this goes back to verse 35, in verse 35 of Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulations, distress, persecutions, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, those are all instruments of suffering. Verse 37, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer. We're not barely making it. It's not scarcely getting through the door. It is not by the skin of our teeth. And so that idea from this passage really is not the idea that God wants to have here. And we need to see and appreciate that. Now, back in our passage here in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4, I want you to also notice two times he talks about those who are not walking with Christ. And verse 17 and verse 18 both end with a question mark. He asks a question. In verse 17, the question simply is, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel? And in verse 18, the question is, and if it is with difficulty the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Those are the questions he's asking about. Now, what's he talking about? What he's talking about is there's a time when severe trials and troubles would fall upon God's church. And God would arrange this. This is by God's design. Now God's church, God's people, you, are something that's very sacred to God. 
The prophets would just talk about that, how we have this kingdom that will never, ever be destroyed, as Daniel 2 talked about. Or how in Ephesians 5, Jesus loves the church. He loves you just like a husband loves his wife. Or how in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, the church is described as the bride of Christ, the wife of Christ, we could say. And 1 Corinthians 3 is described as the temple of God. So all those spatial meanings. And you and I carry the term Christian. What are you? I am a Christian. I belong to Christ. And so the church is very sacred to God, very important to God. And so what I'm saying is there's a time coming when God's people are going to suffer. And what he tells them in this chapter is, in verse 12, don't be shocked. Don't be surprised that this is happening. And in verse 16, don't be ashamed of these things. Don't be ashamed because you are caring about the character of Jesus and you will see how important this is. And so it's with difficulty that the righteous is saved. Righteousness is not popular with the world. It won't get you any help from the world. It will take diligence and effort to do these things. So Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 7 about entering the narrow gate. The way is broad that leads to destruction, he says. But the way is narrow and confining that leads to life. Now, if you've ever been down to Rock City in the, the Tennessee area, they have this as you're walking down these trails. They've got one's called Fat Man Squeeze. And if you're a fat man, you can't get through there. I mean, the rocks just come out like this. And you've got to almost turn sideways to get through there. You're not going to see any cross-country teams running through there because they were not going to make it that way. You've got to take a lot of effort with that. You've got to be careful where you walk because you're going to hit the sides and get injured here. That's the concept he's saying here. It is with difficulty that the righteous are going to make it with God. Now, having said that, here we come back to our lesson as we think about this idea of what it means. As God tries us, as God tests us, some of us will get stronger and stronger. And that's what Peter's bringing out here. Once again, look at chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator. Things are tough. But I'm going to trust God. Things are hard, but God is faithful. And then as was read to us just a moment ago in our opening, in chapter 5, as he talks about in verse 6, to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. That is the idea he's bringing out in all this. And so having said that, the blessings of Christ. You might say, well, I don't see in this chapter. All I see is darkness. All I see is trials and troubles. It seems like difficulties here. But what we find here are blessings. Back in the book of Psalms, if you will, Psalms 23, that great passage. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. What's interesting about Psalms 23, up to that point, he's talking about God. It's about a, a discourse about God. Tell me what God is like. Tell me what God does. But then begin verse 4, he switches. He starts talking to God. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod 
and your staff, they comfort me. And what he's describing here is how God is there for him. And so in all this, this is the concept he has. This is what we see. In those dark valleys, who will lead us? Well, the psalmist tells us, God is there for us. Who will protect us? Thy rod and thy staff are going to be there. Who will comfort us? God will. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 18, after the discussion of the death of a Christian, comfort one another with these words. And so what Peter's helping us to see is understand that God is there. God is there. And, and, and how easy it is for them to think, well, now, if God is there and I'm doing what righteous people are supposed to do, why am I having trouble? It seems like if God was there, he would stop this trouble. But you are being put in that fire to burn out the impurities, to make your heart trust God. There is hope beyond this present. And that's the idea he's emphasizing. And we believe that things will only get better. They're going to get better in Jesus Christ. The best this world has to offer is nothing compared to heaven. And there is great help, great hope, and great power in fellowship with God's people. We do not suffer alone. We suffer together with each other. But having said that, what then is the outcome for those who do not believe? That's the question he asks. What about those who don't obey the gospel? What about those who don't know Jesus? Well, who are they going to pray to? They don't believe. Who's going to comfort them? And who's going to be there, and what hope do they have when all they have is this life? And so the misery and the wretchedness that comes in a suffering world is magnified by those who simply do not know God. And so Peter says, it's time. It's going to start first with a house of God. But he's confident because of our faith and our love in Jesus what will come about. And as we wrap this up this evening, there's three things I want us to remind ourselves of. First of all, what good is your faith if you never have to use it? See, what good is it? Everything works my way. Every day is sunny. Every day is just the way I want it to be. No trials, no troubles, no difficulties. I really don't really need faith hardly at all. I just have it myself. That's all I need. But we throw a little curveball in here. We throw some dark clouds. We put in the valley. We put in some things we don't know about. We put in some things that could be scary in our life. I'm trusting God. I can't see through this. I don't know the outcome of this. I don't know how this is going to end other than God is with me. Likewise, what good is prayer if you don't really need it? I mean... What is there to pray for other than just say, thank you, thank you, thank you, man. Life is good. Just thank you, thank you, thank you. But what this passage is teaching, you are going to trust God. The fires are coming, and you're going to trust God. And fellowship is all around us, but what good is it if I ignore it? I don't need you. You don't need me. We don't need anybody, and life is good. That's the way the world lives. The world lives without needing anybody, the world lives without any prayer, and the world lives without any faith. And everything's good as long as the sun is shining. But once the dark days come, then what is the outcome? And so in this interesting passage, 
what Peter is telling us, I think in a lot of ways, is Jesus' wonderful story about the two men who built their house. One built their house upon the rock. We know the story. One built his house upon the sand. And we know as the outcome, when the storms came, and that's what's interesting. We often talk about the differences there. One was on the rock, one was on the sand. One heard and did, one heard only and didn't do. And we see one stood and one fell. But what are the similarities? They both had storms. They both had rain. They both had wind. And so just like Peter's saying, just like Jesus is saying, there are times when it's going to be hard in your life. There's going to be times when not everything's going to work out just the way you wanted it to work out. There's going to be some times when you don't know the outcome. There's going to be some times when you go to sleep with tears coming down your cheek because you're hurting. Hurting on the outside, hurting on the inside. And as we think about this blessings in Christ, you have something that no one else has, and that is God. You have a God that loves you. You have a God who's there for you. And once again, back, back in the book of 1 Peter chapter 5, grab this verse one more time with me, verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Casting all your anxiety. Anxiety is the idea of worries. Casting all your worries upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. Someone greater than you cares for you. Someone greater than what you can do is thinking about you. Someone who can do things that you cannot do is there for you. And so in the midst of this great section, great chapter, and I really appreciate Jason's lesson last week about chapter 4, we see this driving theme about suffering. How, as Peter wrote these words, I can almost see teardrops falling on his pages, knowing that my people, God's people, are about to suffer. And it's going to be hard. Some of you will make it. Not because you're strong. Not because you'll overcome the Romans. But because you trust in God. Some may not make it. And their house may collapse. Because they don't have a house built on Jesus Christ. But through this. Although we live in times where we don't understand persecution. It's just a historical thought for us. The bridge for us to understand is we too suffer. We too go through hardships. We too go through things that's hard for us to understand and appreciate. And sometimes we wonder, does anybody understand? Does anybody care? And sometimes this pain can be so great, we remind ourselves in this chapter about suffering, what we see coming out are the blessings of Jesus. Where would we be without Jesus? And that's really the thought, I think, running through all of this. And so it's just a simple thought for you this evening. I hope it helps you. I hope it makes us remind ourselves in the times that we live in that we need to keep holding on to God's hand. Sometimes we see that little hand getting away from us. And it's not God who's moving, it's us who's moving. And we've got to reach out a little bit harder and hold on a little tighter. And realize when others are suffering, maybe it's not your time. Be there for others. Help others as God wants you to be. Be the instruments that God wants us to be. This evening, if you're not a Christian, these two verses speak to you. These two verses ask you, what's going to be your outcome? What's going to be your outcome when you're standing at death's door, but you don't know Jesus? What's going to be the outcome when you need to pray? 
but you don't know the one to pray to? What's going to be the outcome when you need help, but you don't know him from whom wants to help you? And the answer to those two questions are obvious. It's a difficult way. It's going to be a terrible way. And so it doesn't have to be that way. We can have a relationship with Jesus that he's there for us to help us and to get us through these difficult times and to have the hope that God wants us to have. These righteous Christians that went through this and became strong and suffered and died, they're awaiting you. They're awaiting me. They're safe on the other side, home where they need to be, never again to suffer, never again to leave, right where you and I need to be someday. And so if we can help you in any way, won't you come as we stand, as we sing?